going on, guys? Welcome to episode four of Conscious Couch. That was In Limbo by the Philly-based band Andorra. And today I sit down with Kevin McCall. He's a singer and rhythm guitar player for the band. Me and Kevin have been friends for about 10 years now, and he was nice enough to sit down and talk to me just about how he got his start in music, some of the struggles you run into growing up in a suburban environment, trying to find the right members for your band, and what the band's been up to during COVID. Uh, so thanks for tuning in and listening. I hope you enjoy. Stay tuned at the end of the episode to hear the full version of In Limbo by Andorra. So what's going on, man? Long time no see. What's going on, my guy? How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I saw the clip of you and and the baby, and uh, you don't mind getting shit on your fingers nowadays, I heard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Trying to, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of the most interesting topics. So uh, let's uh, let's get started from the beginning. Just kind of curious when you started playing music and uh, what your biggest influences at the time were. Yeah, um, I guess, like, I have to think about the the suburban kind of uh, boring nature of where I grew up. Like, there was literally nothing to do, so it was just like you know, either, you know, play sports, do drugs or play in a band. And I, I chose, um, a combination of maybe a few of those, but, uh, definitely, uh, rock and roll was sort of, um, what I was drawn to the most. And, um, you know, at the time like huge records were by like modest mouse and, and Foo Fighters and the chili peppers. So like, it was an amalgam of all of those things that made me want to pick up guitar, learn how to sing and, um, you know, start playing. And that was all probably in, in my grade school, middle school years. And, um, you know, it was just a matter of finding friends and, and buddies that were, were down to, to play. And, uh, you know, Chris Tronowski and, and Michael Trichecki and Jordan Trellis, all kind of founders of, of the band and were my neighbors essentially. So we all kind of teamed up and, and have been running this thing for at least 10 years now as an Andorra right so and did you when you were just starting to learn did you um were you by ear or did you take lessons or uh, a combination of both at all yeah a combination of both I, I definitely took some vocal lessons early on um at limelight arts which is this place in east falls and then um a uh, couple guitar lessons and then i think you know everybody might get to a point where they're like you know this is the guitar player that i want to be um right. I want to be the rhythm guy that writes the songs and, and I found myself in that role. So quickly just kind of learning chords and, and, you know, coming up with melodies to come up, go along with those chords and uh, that, you know, that was my role. That was the role I wanted to play in this band. So um, I, I kind of stopped and, and then I wish I hadn't, I guess, but you know, here I am. Right. <laughs> right. I, well, I kind of went through a similar experience when I was starting to play. I, uh, I had went to go take lessons. And at that point, I think I was already up to par with like power chords. And uh, unfortunately with where I had went for lessons, you know, they want to start you out on basics. Um, and in my case, I was like, I just didn't have the patience for it. So sometimes after that, you kind of integrate more into learning by ear or like, you know, Luckily for our age, like our age group in our time, we had YouTube and, you know, guitar tabs and all that sort of stuff. Um, so you could probably touch on this because we've known each other for maybe like 10 or so years now. Um, yeah, and, and I could tell, you know, 
when I was just starting music and with bands, one of the hardest things for us was finding the right people. Um, and sometimes in your little suburban environment, everybody and their mother plays guitar, right? So it's kind of hard sometimes to find the other pieces of the band that gel together uh, great. And um, you guys as Endora have went through a couple different lineup changes. So can you just speak on that, how hard it maybe was to find the right people at the time and just, you know, um, how everything fell into place for you guys? Yeah, I, I mean, in high school and, and before, uh, it was the most difficult thing to find people who would be dedicated to this because in some cases, it's kind of like a lifelong commitment because this band is still playing. So, right. um, you know, it's just like, you got to find the right people. And not only do they have to be uh, good players, but they have to you know gel with you right like you said they have to just be cool um mm -hmm. and i think anybody that i ever had a falling out with musically I, i've i've sort of circled back to those people and have been like look that was stupid we shouldn't be fighting over like this collaborative thing because it's it's art in so many ways and we're gonna butt heads and clash but um you know those people i have definitely made up with and and I think the most important lesson that I've learned um, was kind of recently, maybe a couple of years back, was when my I was rooming with uh, a guitar player um, who was in Andorra at the point. Um, his name was Sam Carlin, and and we had a pretty bad falling out because like we were fighting about like, dude, you didn't do the dishes. <laughs> so personal life stuff started to yeah, mesh yeah, into it, band life, right? They sometimes it doesn't mesh and and i think i learned a hard lesson not to room or or, or dorm with any of my roommates be, or sorry my my bandmates because uh you know it, it didn't didn't work too well but um you know after that we definitely knew that we had to find somebody that not only could could play the songs to our standards but also um fit in and, and be like a good fit for us um personality wise right we 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 can't have like a robot or somebody like that was too demanding in certain respects we needed to have somebody that was just going to be cool laid back could drink beer and, and and chill and and we found that in dante and ever since we found our groove with him we've i i think we've we've had some moderate success and we've been a pretty tight band ever since Right. And da Dante's added such a, uh, and Dante's your guitar player. He has been for a few years now, right? Yeah. Dante has been in the band for maybe three or four years at this point. Yeah. And he's in, even just me following you guys for as long as I've known you, he has added such a cool element uh, to it. I mean, he, he tears the shit out of that guitar. Um, and you could definitely tell uh, in just your writing ever since uh, your first full length, how much that shifted. And I'm going to I'm going to get into that as well, too. Uh, I wanted to touch on a little bit more with the members um, and tell me if you agree with me. Sometimes when you're in uh, into music or into any sort of art form, uh, especially at a young age, you, you aspire and you have you have dreams and everybody has an image of what they want and and uh, especially musically and, you know, image wise. So uh, do, do you feel like sometimes, it, you know, before everybody just didn't maybe have the same image of what they wanted as the band? Uh, and I mean, with you, 
mainly being the founder of the band, I, I can imagine you have some pretty strong uh, images on what you wanted the band to be. Was that ever a clash uh, between differences and just styles and where you guys wanted to go? No, absolutely. Yeah, that's hilarious. Um, we, we, uh, so we're doing this Andorra documentary because we've been a band for 10 years and uh, right. uh, we're going back and kind of interviewing past members just to see what their thoughts were on, on being the band because we've had a lot of different friends and, and family members come in and, and play the role of like the bass player or the guitar player. Um, it's always been Jordan and I, so uh, we've always been trying to fill those roles and you know, it, we're so happy that we finally have um, consistently for like this past, you know, these past four or five years, like I said, uh, with Dante and Michael, but, um, but yeah, you know, like I had to think of uh, a guitar player we had early on who was like really into hardcore music and like the metal scene. And he would always want to go and play like the crock rock when we were like an alternative rock band. And we were trying to fit in with like, uh, you know, hardcore dudes with like half sleeves and, and like right. <laughs> creepy vocals, right? Like, I love that stuff, but that's not what this band is. And, and it was like, maybe we could have fit that mold in certain respects right. and we certainly have some songs that might play into that a little bit but we're not we're not that band and um you know that was like part of the reason why it didn't work out with that guitar player and, and that was that was our good friend nick malfara who you know we'll talk to and we'll sit and kind of hash it out and you know him and i have been great friends ever since too you know like i i, yeah. I don't ever want to like leave things on bad terms with past members because um this is hard right this is that we there's growing pains involved with this because we were probably like 17 at the time and mm -hmm. we didn't know how to handle it so you know it was what it was but the dude was my roommate at one point and that was that might be conflicting from like what i just said about not not rooming with, with your bandmates like, yeah bandmates, but we weren't in the same band at that point so i think i think it was okay Right. I totally remember that time period, too. And th I think that's why uh, me and Eric, you know, when we when we had our few different uh, versions of whatever band we were trying to be, I remember we were so drawn towards you guys because we felt like we could only relate musically to you guys. Because in that time period, like early 2010s, like the teens era, um, it was a lot of hardcore bands and it was a lot of the uh, some of the softer rock, like folky. We used to call them stompers. Yeah. Cause you know, they play like their uptight high guitar and like stomping on the floor. Yeah. And uh, we always had the hardest time fitting in on those bills. So I, I can totally relate, uh, relate to that. Yeah. Uh, I think that's how you and I kind of got further connected. I remember booking a couple shows at that church just for Andorra. And then, you know, you were one of the only other bands raising your hand to be like, yo, can we play? And I was like, absolutely. And um, it, it fit nicely because we definitely had like that post grunge, grungy kind of, Right thing going on and and like you know that's it, it exists now more than ever right like just rock bands but at that time it was certainly very specific to hardcore bands and and just stuff that i i guess wasn't necessarily our taste but um right it was, it was good <laughs> to find people alike uh in the same you know in the same realm of music uh, especially coming from where we are we're outskirt like suburban philadelphia so really like one of the bigger stepping stones is starting to integrate yourself into that scene which you guys have done perfectly over the years i mean um 
you know, you, you work in venues in, in Philadelphia. Um, uh, one of the next things I was going to get to, because you actually have a pretty tight relationship with 104.5 over in Philadelphia, the radio station. Um, yeah. And you guys have played the 104.5 birthday shows probably a few years in a row, right? Uh, opening up for acts such as False of the People, The Killers. Um, can you talk about that experience a little bit? Yeah. Um, so there were, there were just radio contests and, um, you know, we have big Italian families, so, uh, they were all really rooting for us and they love what we do and they're, they're always at our shows. So it was pretty natural that like they would be online every day putting votes in for us. And, um, it was, it was, it was like a voting phase. So we, we got a lot of our friends do do it every day for us. And, um, we, kind of just advanced and moved on and and uh we did it for a couple of years and like you said we we got to uh open for some awesome uh acts and and you know met hosier backstage gave him a fist bump uh, nice uh, right you guys all had your uncle vinny's just voting every day exactly yeah <laughs> joe pesci mini, mini joe, joe pesci, pesci. yeah um so you know i wanted to talk you guys you guys have a pretty extensive uh, amount of credits in these 10 years i mean one of four five birthday shows i mean countless other shows you guys uh music videos galore um and you guys have also released three full-length albums and if you if you don't mind i'd like to just kind of touch on each one as we go along um starting with etc 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 uh cool. when i listened to that album even just because i knew what you guys were working with before you released that that's kind of like your roots right you kind of brought some of the first songs you would ever wrote and maybe perfected it for the album and then had released all of them correct yeah i i'm something paul mccartney said that has always stuck with me was you know if there's like a riff or a song that you just keep coming back to then it's worth pursuing um and that was somebody that like couldn't write music and i can't write music either or read music so um if it's something that's just like natural that you can go back to um then it's worth keeping and a lot of that was that first record um and you know we were working on that for like maybe two years starting when we were like maybe seniors in high school and then it finally got released maybe midway through our freshman college year so um it was a long time coming and we kind of sat with these songs for a good while and uh some of those songs that didn't make that album eventually made it onto the second album what you wanted what you got so um yeah we're you know we just that that's that's basically like the roots rock kind of thing and i don't mean roots rock i just mean like what it's like your roots like kind yeah, of when you roots, started exactly right yeah like that's that's like my bread and butter that's the type of music that i grew up listening to and then mm -hmm. the next couple albums afterwards were like it still had that hard rock rooted sound but we we tried to kind of branch out and and maybe show um that you know we're not just like boneheaded dummies that know how to play power chords we can also kind of get a little funky and, and add like a let's dance david bowie kind of vibe to a right. song or like a we, we love neil young collectively so let's let's give that a whirl and see where we end up with that so um, well, that's that's what's from really there was trying to be experimental with that as like the foundation Right. And that was and that was real cool seeing that first album come out. And if there's one 
one of the aspects of your guys' bands that really drew me and especially Eric in was uh, you can you can see the level of progression since you've started. I mean, even uh, one thing I struggled with uh, that when we were starting is we could never find a singer, right? Um, and I kind of fell into that role and I can't sing for shit. So that was one of the things that was one of the things that always held us back for so long. And it, it's interesting because when I first discovered you guys, you could tell you were in that you were in that uh, middle period of learning, finding your voice. And um, it's like once that album came out, it, it was like, wow. You know, if you listen to some of those earlier YouTube recordings, like Downstairs of the Croc Rock, if you guys playing Black and Blue, you know, and then bring it to the first album, you can really see the vocal progression and how hard you guys worked just to perfect and hone in on your craft. So um, definitely one of the more harder working bands uh, that I've like, you know, gotten to witness and see. Um, so let's, uh, let's move to the second one. So the second album is what you wanted, what you got. Um, one thing I've noticed in that album uh, is that you guys really you guys really dove into the structure and the dynamics of it it's still a very hard-hitting album um, but you guys seem like you really experimented with uh, different sounds and structures and I think Dante probably had a big part in some of the cooler uh, guitar like styles and sounds that were coming in so can you talk about the process of that album too yeah so um we worked with Mike Weiser who produced the first record and um you know, I think my favorite bands from album to album work with a different producer and I wanted to branch out and potentially work with somebody else. Mm -hmm. And and we tried that and it didn't really work. And we were just like, let's go back to Mike. And, and uh, you know, he really knew what he was doing. He took care of us. Um, even when things seemed like, oh, dude, like that vocal take doesn't sound like he always kept us kind of straight and narrow and made sure that um you know it was it was perfection and uh what you wanted what you got took forever to release in part of that for that reason um so you know it, it probably took like two years to make and wow. in between like um I think you know other bands were kind of coming and going so we were overlapping schedule wise with other artists coming in and, and recording their stuff there so um, specifically Jesse from, from, uh, the, she was in the band daddy lap. She's also a DJ host on 104.5. So, um, that kind of cemented our relationship with her and Mike. And, and we all kind of became really close because we were recording in the same studio. She loved the way like the guitar sounded on a lot of those songs. So she got her band in there and Dante finally got to record on, on what you wanted, what you got. Um, so yeah, you know, we, we were messing with song structure. We were finally writing together as, like a four-piece band rather than me and Jordan Frankensteining songs together with Michael kind of being strung along. Um, so this was like, you know, there was an exception of a few songs that weren't necessarily like that, that were left over from et cetera. But a lot of it was like, this is a band now. This feels like a band. We're in the studio. We're writing songs. We care about them because we wrote them together. And um, yeah, it's, it's definitely my favorite album I think I've written since um, the new shit that might that might take the cake but but th that record always stands out to me as like this is possibly like some of my defining work whatever that means as a 25 year old kid that lives in you know East Falls Philadelphia right like but that's that's like my favorite body of work that I've 
Right. I mean, and even just some of the topics you touched on in that album, opposed to the first one, I, one of the first things that stuck out to me, I, you know, I love the song Booze Hounds. And uh, it's funny because you can relate to that song as a 20 something year old male or female. And me and you have had an interesting past of partying and Hell yeah. <laughs> you've seen my wild side. I've seen your wild side. Yeah. That's, you know, it's been a, that's been an adventure. So yeah, you could definitely tell on that album, um, you guys definitely gave it your all and you you really started to branch out even in the uh, lyric side of um, yeah. the album. Uh, if you it's, had to pick one song from that album, that's probably your favorite, uh, what would it be? And you know, any other insight on that album that you may have? Yeah, I was, I was just about to say, it's a coming of age record, right? Like living on your own for the first time the expectations of that and then the reality of that kind of hitting and it's like you know what what you wanted and this is what you got so um thematically there's like this overarching motif of of like wanting that so badly and then once you finally get to that place it you you kind of start to miss home um like you know miss where you used to live with your mom and dad and like you know the coffee shop down the street and all that stuff so um the song in limbo is sort of that song that connects all of those tunes together for me um and you know i like reference the street that i grew up on and 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 all that stuff and michael michael lived a few doors down so uh i think that song really kind of connected us and and in part we we wrote a lot of that together in the same room and the, like the samba song that it kind of becomes halfway through is like was like a joke at first and then it's like no wait that was really cool like let's let's do that live somebody not expecting that that that's like that's crazy i don't know any other band that has morphed like this rock and roll the rock and roll song into something with a samba beat so um you know, there, for a lot of reasons, that song really stands out to me. And then, you know, like Boo Sounds, like, like, absolutely, that has everything to do with, like, you coming over and, and us partying at in my, you know, in that crib on Block Street till, like, three in the morning. And, you know, yeah, we, we fucked like, that shit up. And I do apologize <laughs> for those days. I was a little out of my mind at that time. Dude, um, those, those were the best days, those right? Were like, fucking, they were fucking crazy. They were pretty fucking yeah. crazy. So... You know, going on, you were touching on uh, in limbo. I was gonna say, you know, you brought you brought habits onto that album, which was a song you had for a while. And I remember you guys playing that, and that was just such a hard hitting like that. It just it just took you back when you heard that song. Uh, I loved how that was incorporated, and also the restructure um, of can't run forever. Uh, that was such a really cool dynamic that you brought to the album. Um, cool just bringing past ideas into it and then i feel like for in limbo that kind of set up the stepping stones uh for your third full-length family tree because that that album's got much more of a uh mellow uh it's seeing a softer side of you guys that i feel like in limbo kind of uh uh brought to you you know when you're listening to that second album uh would you say that's that's kind of correct in the way that was or did you guys feel like you wanted to take a little bit of a more mellow approach uh, you spoke on uh, Neil Young, you know, you incorporated harmonica into the new album, um, some really other cool like styles and guitar picking. And uh, you want to touch on that uh, third album? Yeah. So, you know, it's like 
the production that that Mike does is is great. Like it's rock radio. It's it's like Nirvana, Nevermind, Butchvig, like double the guitar, double the vocals. It was it, they're like huge sounding records. A lot of dubs, and, a lot of overdubs and stuff. Right. Yeah. In a lot of ways, like he was imitating that, and like I think everybody needs to make a record like that in their life because why not? Right. That's that's huge. They're mm-hmm. they're rock records, and um, you know we did it twice and. It, I think it was time to sort of take a step back and say like, maybe like, let's, let's try to expand our horizons a little bit. Let's try to write a record that isn't, isn't that so much. Like this is, if Nevermind was Nirvana's, you know, big butch, big record, this was our Steve Albini in, in utero. utero. Yeah. Right? Like, and not, not stylistically, just Sound. sonically. Yeah. In right? Utero's, in Utero is one of my favorite, albums from nirvana as you as knowing me you probably know nirvana was one of my biggest influences like growing up um and you could definitely hear that on the family tree album just that steve albini like you know a little bit of a lower drum mix maybe the vocals aren't as loud as the previous ones i mean you could definitely tell that difference between in utero and nevermind where you get that real big commercial polished sound and then more of that indie uh that indie approach to that so that's that's a cool balance to have. I mean, especially when you guys have been working for 10 years, you just, sometimes you're trying to find anything you can do to just, you know, keep making it as interesting as possible and to just keep expanding creatively. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it was DIY for us, right? Michael produced it. We all kind of co-produced it, but Michael was behind the board and um, we did it comfortably in our practice studio, basically. And, uh, you know, it, it was, it was, we all kind of have mixed emotions about it because giving one guy full control like that is, is like a hard thing to deal with. Um, you know, and there was certainly some moments where I looked back and was like, that was like, uh, I wish we did this differently or yeah. I wish, I wish maybe there was somebody else in the room to kind of be the, the, the guy to veto the whole thing or, or make the, the tie less even break the tie. Right. So um, that, that was like, and that was an experience that I hadn't had prior to family trade because we had that. And now I know maybe going forward, well, first of all, I know I'm not mature enough to write a, to record a record <laughs> independently, right? Like that, that experience, it wasn't as negative as I'm making it out to see, but I, I definitely don't think I'm mature enough to handle that again. No, but it's different. It's different. And you're going to, you know, like you said, you had the comfort and the security of having uh, uh, Mike before as a producer for it. So, um, and that's, that's one of the good things. I mean, about having somebody that you gel with so perfectly because they know you guys in and out and they're able to give you that constructive criticism. Uh, You know, sometimes as the artist and as you're writing, it's hard for you to let certain things go uh, musically that just might not work as well on the album um so yeah. it's definitely a learning experience and um you know I-, I wanted to also bring up uh passenger is one of my favorite songs on that album and it's the first time we actually see uh like a co-op vocals or um i, I guess michael came in for the vocals on that one correct yeah and-, and it's something like we're kind of exploring more and more um some of my favorite bands over the years have had more than one vocalist like the Beatles, the the Stones, um, Queens of the Stone Age, like every all of those bands, kind of contributed 
more than just like you know the lead singer right like even queen which is crazy because freddie mercury is like the greatest singer in the world but you know there's so many classic iconic bands that followed this same kind of uh formula and, and um not that it's a formula because because we're breaking for a formula but uh you know it, it's like a different take on it and i think that's a great song michael definitely contributed something super awesome to that record and you know I, I think not it wasn't necessarily a goal going into it but it happened anyway and, and I really think we spaced that album apart song by song like there isn't one song on there that I think sounds like another every tune has its own presence on that album and right um, you know I think maybe Passenger could have been written like in 2010 when that first album came out but mm -hmm. the fact that michael's singing it is what makes it shine um so it's certainly a, a different song and a different take on like a more quote-unquote traditional andorra song um just for the sole fact that he's singing it so right and um and, and it really goes to show that you guys are like a you guys are a band of brothers i mean because if you guys didn't have such a tight relationship and you weren't and you weren't able to explore and do things like that. You know, sometimes at, when you're in a band, uh, some people might feel as not not involved. I mean, even in Nirvana's case, I mean, before Dave Grohl started Foo Fighters, I mean, he had those pocket watch demos for how many years? And um, just with as big as an entity as Kurt was, in that case, he may not have felt as comfortable to even step into that position. So it's really cool that you guys have such a good relationship that, you know, nobody feels um, outshined by anybody and, and uh, you know, ideas are open on the table for you guys to discuss. And it really, it really helps bring together you guys musically. Um, it's a pretty cool thing. Um, I wanted to also get in. Uh, so nowadays, you know, even when we started, you know, social media was just kind of like just breaking. Um, and, and I'm always curious to know what, you know, working musicians think, do you think it's harder nowadays or easier? I mean, we have, we have everything at our expense, you know, Spotify, Instagram, Facebook, everything to put yourselves out there. Does it make it easier to be noticed or does it make it harder because you have such a concoction of people trying to, you know, be noticed? Do you think it's easier or harder nowadays opposed to maybe like 80s 90s or even early 2000s before like myspace uh busted um yeah i mean it, there's definitely a lot more garbage out there <laughs> like um, right you're just sifting through the shit pretty much yeah um and there was already a lot of it to begin with right like stained is still a band creed is a band right <laughs> so yeah like, right <laughs> now, now now it's like right the, here's more of the same thing um I don't know, but like on a local level, it's great. You know, like everybody has a voice. Um, do I want to be maybe more, do I want to be louder than some of those bands? Probably, but you know, I I'm also just kind of like here digging everything, right? Like I I'm not competing with, you know, the the rock bands that I love and book and Manny Unk. Like I'm, I'm, I'm here kind of just to keep, promoting them and, and, and sharing their music and it, it's accessible to me at this point whereas maybe like you know our our grade school days it, it wasn't so much of an option it was maybe just new technology at that point so um 
you know, I'm happy that uh, everybody can have a voice now. Um, do I think everybody deserves it? No, but like, <laughs> it, it's great that it's it's there. And like, if you can use it in a way that makes you stand out and, and makes you, uh, you know, a great, like if you sound like a great rock band live and then you sound like a great rock band on your recording and I can go and access that on Spotify and your Instagram page or whatever, then hell yeah. Like that, that makes, that makes me want, that draws me in more. That makes right. me want to go see you live when I can go see you live and, and hear you when I'm in the mood to hear you. Um, you know, and, and then I only, I, the only downfall is like, you know, it, it is, it is, it makes things more competitive and, and um, I don't think, you know, art and competitiveness and sometimes even commerce mesh well. It's just, it's just like, how it is but uh, you know it, it's it's great that it's out there especially for people on the local level just trying to share the music and, and get their tunes out there right right um and, and you've definitely done a great job uh kind of helping taking the reins and i mean w when it comes to helping support other bands and just get others names out there i mean you've been pretty selfless in that whether it's booking people for shows or you know helping get you know any sort of uh, plays on air and stuff like that. You've definitely been a great, uh, a great supporter in that scene. Um, currently with COVID, uh, just to kind of, before we wrap up, I, I just wanted to know how you guys have been surviving as a band during COVID, um, not being able to play live, because that's something you guys did religiously pre-COVID and, um, and what your future plans are with the band. Yeah, so right now we are writing uh, a record um we are writing in like a very specific theme um something we're calling boogie rock blues okay so a little, little bluesy um maybe more like from the tip of um the song standpoint idaho more in that style um so you know we've been together you know as much as we can and and we're messed up in in a different rehearsal space just running some songs and writing them. And, um, you know, I think we're going to have uh, a seven song record done pretty soon. And we're going to, you know, get it, get it uh, mixed, mastered and, 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 you know, maybe track it first. <laughs> and then, uh, um, yes, I don't know what we'll do after that, but uh, you know, that's, that's kind of the plan right now. Uh, we've done some live streams. We've, we've done some performances. Um, like I said, we have a, a documentary in the works about the 10 years of the band's history um and uh yeah you know I, like i'm also just really trying to like support some of these venues that like have welcomed all of us over the years and um trying to figure out how to kind of combine both of these efforts um you know visually like documentary style because we've been into that a lot lately, but also like with the band um, kind of spearheading it. And, and, you know, I have some ideas in the works that, that are just trying to incorporate like supporting venues in Philadelphia and, and keeping them alive. And, um, you know, we have some plans in the works for that too. And uh, really want to kind of make them more concrete because some of these venues are hurting and, and we want to, uh, we want to make sure that they're alive when, COVID is all said and done and we can come back and play them again. So 
Right. And essentially you are, you're giving back too. I mean, you have, you guys have an immense appreciation for not only the scene itself, but the places you've played and the people that have helped you guys out over the years. So it, it uh, it's pretty profound to see, you know, uh, that appreciation and that, you know, you don't, you don't forget about the people that have helped you, especially in such times. Um, so uh, before we wrap up, I, I, one more question. I, I'm very, uh, you know, when it comes to bands and music and just art in general, I'm a very visual person. I love, I love cover art. I, I just love the image of a band. I love, you know, how a music video looks. Um, who's done the artwork for your three uh, albums? Was it one person or did you guys uh, choose different people between each album? Uh, who created the cover art for you guys? Yeah, it's been... Um three different people each time um ashley bradley drew the first one um a relative of jordan's did um the second one what do you want what do you got um his name was alex uh he's a tattoo artist he has his own studio um so like a lot of that was very much like in the style of tattoo um and then most recently, uh, Jimmy Scantron did the album artwork for uh, Family Tree. And um, he used to play in this band called Loka Connie and, and has his own band called um, uh, Scantron uh, and the Cosmic Guilt. And uh, I worked with him at Mill Street. So, um, you know, he's a good buddy and uh, great, great artist. So um, same thing as like the... Um, the idea of like working with a different producer each time right you want to just kind of expand and work with different new people uh to create fresh art and i think same thing for album art right like just want to work with new people each time to get different ideas new perspectives and um just trying to do the same thing with the artwork as we would with the music in studio cool man yeah uh that's awesome i, I love i love how uh diverse you guys are when whether it's uh, producers or artwork and all that um well look man uh i appreciate you talking with me today um is there anything you want to plug before we before we end i know you said you got the documentary coming up and a new album is there anything else we should look out for or um you want to plug where you know people can find your music and your social media just so they can stay in tune sure yeah they're uh we're just Andorra Music on all the socials. You can find us there, um, and and come to the Grape Room. I've been I've been doing some DJ nights there. I've been spinning vinyl on Fridays and Saturdays. Nice, so, nice. Um, that's my favorite music venue bar in the whole world, and um, just trying to support them as much as possible. And uh, I, dude, vinyl night like like straight up turntables and record players. It's fun. Like it's, I have. That yeah that's that's tight i could uh i could agree with that i love uh keeping it classic yeah grape room is a great spot man i mean you, you gotta love those just just it's just a smaller just unique spot that you know has a lot of history i've seen a lot of great sets there a lot of great bands one of my favorites was seeing midfield there uh they're they're great you know that great new pop uh pop punk band uh a lot of great stuff there so you do a lot of great work there bringing bands in so uh yeah, definitely. If you live in the Philadelphia area and you're looking for something to do, go check out uh, Vinyl Nights there. What what nights do you do that? Is it the same day every week or? Uh, it varies, but but it'll definitely be online and, and you can definitely, you'll definitely know when it's happening because we'll promote it. So, Cool. 
All right, man. Well, thanks again for talking to me. Um, I'm excited to see where Andorra goes. Thank you, Brandon. Appreciate it, buddy. No problem, man. See you.